This is the Fire Dog Podcast. The views and opinions presented on today's episode are those of the speaker and do not necessarily represent the views of the Department of Defense or the United States Air Force. Welcome, my name is Matt Wilson, and thank you for joining us for episode eight of the Fire Dog Podcast. Our guest today is a former military training instructor, and he currently serves as an assistant chief of operations at Eglin Air Force Base Fire Department. Please welcome Master Sergeant Jordan Pritchett. What's up, Jordan? Hey, what's going on? How's it going, man? It's great to have you on. Thanks for coming. Thank you. How's the weather down there in Florida? It's it's really nice, but with uh, all this craziness going on, we kind of have to stay inside. You know, same oh, yeah. thing with the kids. School's getting canceled, so we're staying in, but going outside just in our front and backyard, trying to enjoy uh, Florida the best best way we can. Yeah, man, the coronavirus is killing everything. <laughs> it you can't is. do anything. Yeah, everybody has all this time off, but nowhere to go. Exactly. Know? Well, Jordan, tell us about yourself, man. Where are you from? How long have you been in? What bases have you been stationed? So I'm kind of from, um, I'm from all over. Uh, My dad was in the Air Force. He's retired Air Force, you know, stepmom retired Air Force. Grandpa retired, retired Air Force. uh, Mother-in-law retired Air Force. It's kind of like a family business. We've been all over. If I had to claim a place, it would be Kansas. A lot of my family lives there. I've been in for 13 years. Uh, been to, I was McConnell was my first base. I was at Milton Hall, obviously Lackland, and now here. Uh, those those are the places I've been to. Cool, yeah, I'm an Air Force brat too. What'd your What'd your parents do in the military? My dad, he was security forces. Uh, then he became a first sergeant, and and then eventually came back into being security forces and retired. He was actually I was actually stationed with him at McConnell Air Force Base before he retired. So that's wild. It is. It was. That was your first base McConnell. Mm-hmm. And I, I got ribbed quite a bit because of that. So because your dad was a cop. <laughs> well, he was a cop and then he was actually, he was the group superintendent there. That's so, pretty legit though. Sounds uh, like you had an in. Not, re- not always, it, 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 you know, with everything it's, it's got, it's good and bad, you know what I mean? So yeah. that's um, cool, but it's good. The Air Force has been great. I loved, I'm loving it so far. Yeah. Awesome. What about your mom? What'd she do? So my stepmom, she was actually a, uh, a flight attendant. Uh, she, and then she was a UTM and she, she got out of the air force back in 2000. So she 20 years, same thing with my grandpa. He worked on U2s. Uh, so we have a, we have that vast big broad spectrum of, of that air force family and doing all sorts of different things. That's awesome. And I'm guessing that's why you joined the air force. Yes, probably. Yeah, I didn't want to do college. I'm, I'm not a big fan of school, but it doesn't really matter because I'm doing school right now. But uh, my dad said, hey, you got to do something. Let's let's go. Let's get after it. 13 yeah, years in, man. Like, come on. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> I'm in the same boat. It took me a while to engage the gears a little bit for school, but I'm I'm cruising right now. So yeah, we, same here. Yes, sir. Awesome. <laughs> So um, how, how did he feel when you joined fire protection? Well, you know how you get that list of jobs, you get the list of jobs, right? And uh, I told him I wanted to be a cop too. And he was like, I don't, you know, let's look, let's look at these different options here. And That's you know, bad just, when a cop is telling you to steer clear. <laughs> he did. He did. <laughs> and uh, you know, I remember sitting at the, sitting at the dinner table with him and he pointed and he said, did you think about this one? And I was like, no, oh, it was pointed to fire fire protection, obviously. I, he's like, I didn't even, I didn't even think of it. And, um, you know, when your dad 
is the first sergeant in AFPC, you know, things can go your way, you know, a little bit. And he, he kind of helped me out with that. Uh, Man, look at you. You it, did have an in. It just, that was before. It, that was before. I anymore. Went, so. um, and then, uh, yeah. So the next thing I know, I'm, I'm going to basic training July 18, 2006 and do my thing. And then, going to Goodfellow and then, you know, at McCall and just like everybody else's adventure, it all starts, starts somewhere. So. Yeah, for sure. You did a little time at Lackland, as we mentioned in the introduction. So tell us about your experience as a TI military training instructor. What was it like? How'd you get picked up for it? Well, obviously, you know, they, they, I was in the cycle of the DSD development of special duties that all started happening. It was the fall cycle of 2015 you know, they ask you for your one or two choice. I said, look, I want to do it. You know, I saw a couple guys going, one guy specifically, he's a senior mass sergeant or senior mass sergeant select Ordway down in uh, Tyndall. He just got, he, he just left TI duty, went to Korea. Now, now he's down at Tyndall. I saw him do it. And I was like, man, that, that motivated me because uh, that was something I always wanted to do, but you know, it's the fear of the unknown, right? You know, you don't ever know what's going to happen. You have such a cush life, you know, you loving it. And then, I saw him get picked up. I was like, man, that, that, that motivated me. So I really asked my chief, uh, chief Moore at the time. And he was all about it. He, he said, you know, you'd be perfect for it. And when I went down there, I actually shadowed uh, senior master sergeants like Ordway. And, you know, you're in that environment. You, so you shadow him, you, you're with an MTI before you actually go to the school, the MTIS school. I was with him for about, uh, you know, a month. And I, as soon as I, the first day I was there, I was like, this job's for me. I was like, I love this, uh, the environment, uh, you know, the no kidding being in it every single day and see what seeing behind the scenes and, you know, how you can make an impact. Uh, that, that was important to me. And I, I loved, I loved every second of it. Uh, so I went down there, did my shadow time, went through MTIS, the school, I got out of the school in September of 2016. And then I went over to what's called the 323rd training squadron uh, to get my certifications. I got trained up, trained up there and then went to the 321st training squadron where I was a line instructor, where I pushed flights. And then I actually got picked up to go to be a trainer at the 323rd training squadron where uh, I trained other MTIs. I actually uh, worked hand in hand with other fire dog MTIs where there's a ton of us that are down there killing it every single day. Uh, we do, we do great thing, great things down there. And, uh, and what happened was, is BMT decided what's called do what's called decentralization where they had the trainers actually go back into the line squadrons, all the different squadrons. And I was luckily enough to be, get picked up to go back to my, my home squadron, the 321st, the Warthogs to start up the training program program there. Uh, with the training superintendent. And I did that for a while, uh, headed that program up. And then I got picked up to be what's called the training superintendent at the 321st, where I was in charge of other trainers, trying to charge of the operations of the squadron, you know, the ins and outs, all these different things. And, and then next thing you know, I'm, I'm here, here at Eglin. So uh, yeah, the, the, I can't speak for everybody, but I, I loved being an MTI. That, that was, that's probably been my favorite job in the, in the air force so far. I don't, I don't know how many people would say that or, or would actually want to be a TI. I think I'm in that category of people too. 
I think we're a rare breed. I think there's only a handful of people that would say, that's what I want to do. I want to be a TI. Yeah. But what rank were you when you got picked up? I was a tech. Uh, I was tech sergeant. Um, you know, went down there uh, as a tech sergeant and then made master out of there. Uh, so I was lucky enough to, to make master out of there. I bet and it was competitive up there or down there. It, it was, it was you know, a lot of sharp, sharp airmen there. You know, you, you don't think about it, but there are, you know, they try I think they really do try to pick the best NCOs and senior NCOs uh, to go down there to Lackland to, to help train uh, airmen, the warrior airmen. And, you know, you, you just, you just hope for the best, right? You just hope for the best. And I was lucky enough to, to get, have leadership there that saw, you know, my potential and, you know, leadership there that was willing to take care of me. And they, they did every single day. And I, I wouldn't be where I was at as, as an MTI, cause I was very successful, I think without the leadership that I had fire dog MTIs, you know, senior master Webster out at, out of Cheyenne mountain right now. He, he was one of the main guys that took care of me, you know, you can't go anywhere with any job, right? You know, you can't go anywhere without anybody saying, Hey, I see something in you. Let me put you in the right spot because that's really what it's all about. Right. So that I was, I was lucky enough to be that way as, as an MTI. Leadership will make or break you sometimes, you it, know, it will. it will. There's so much potential out there. And a lot of times your success leans on whether or not you have good leadership. Just that you one know? guy, you just need one Don't person. Bring it to out of you. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I see something in you, man, you know, yeah. let's go, you know, and I, I had those people yeah. there and it, it, it helped. It helped. So, yeah. Sounds like what well, DSD, the intent of it is to pick the best and sounds like they're doing that pretty well. And it's crazy to me that there's so many fire dog MTIs because it, it's a relatively small career field when compared to the rest of the air force. That's oh, a lot about our career field. It, I had, Guys, you know, I worked with day in, day out. I, I pushed flights with another MTI. Mass Sergeant Roke out at, you know, uh, Cannon Air Force Base. Actually, excuse me, Holloman Air Force Base. I was with him for three flights. We pushed, we had students together that we we pushed, you know. So, and it's just like we all clicked, you know. Like we all knew, you know, each other's backgrounds. We we talked and we we knew we we got the job done down there, you know. And you'll find that, you, like I said before, Fire dog MTIs, they're, they're, they're really successful down there. Really successful. That's awesome. There's a couple down there still, right? I know, I know one of them at least. There's a ton. Yeah. Yeah, there is. Yeah. That's awesome. So tell us about, I've heard horror stories. I don't know who from, so I don't know if they're credible about MTI school or MTIS as you refer to it. Is that what the acronym stands for? Yeah. So the MTI, yeah. So military training instructor school, it's a eight, eight week course. And it's, you know, it may have been back in the day, you know, before all that, the scandal and all that, but you know, you get down there and I had, you know, that you got to obviously show somebody respect because of the positional power that they have, you know, this person knows has that, you know, knowledge power because they've been doing it for a long time and they're going to expect a lot out of you. Uh, Obviously being a, a military training instructor school instructor. So it's not, it's not difficult. You know, you do what you got to do. You take the biggest thing that people I think have trouble with is, is accepting feedback, uh, direct feedback that they may have not ever had that before. Uh, You know, the simple things like you don't even think about, Hey, your pockets undone. 
and you're getting that from a technical sergeant, same rank as you. Oh, shoot. Okay. Thanks. I didn't even think about that. You know what I mean? Those, those little things that we, we forget in the operational air force, um, hands in our pockets, uh, you, you know, your hair's getting close, you know, all those little things that we don't necessarily think about, but it's a big deal down there. And it's a big deal. It starts in military training circuit school. And when you go to the, to the, uh, your line squadron to get trained up, we try to, especially me, when I was a trainer, I, I would really point those things out first, because look, you're, you're setting the image, you're setting the example every day in and day out. But no, it wasn't going back to your question. It wasn't no real horror stories. No, no. I, I've heard, I've heard that it's like driving a, a, a basic training flight. Do they, do they drive or is it you show up Monday through Friday, eight hour days? Oh, so for the school, yeah, it's, it's Monday yeah. through Friday. You, you get holidays yeah. off. Uh, right. When it really no, sticks no off is when you, or any of that. no, no, yeah. Okay. You, you go through the school and then, you know, you go to your line squadron to get trained up. That's when it really kicks off. Like, Oh dang, I'm, I'm, I'm on the grind now. You know what I mean? Yeah. So those guys at Eglin were probably stoked knowing they had a TI coming to them to, to straighten them up a little bit. You know, I don't know. Uh, yeah. You know, it's one of those things you go in and I try, I try not to say, Oh, I was at Lackland. You know, you try not to say, Oh, I was a TI uh, because there is, there's going to be a stigma about you no matter, no matter what there, there just is. Um, they, they know dude. And, whether, whether or not you know it, they know. They know you. Yeah. And I'm slowly starting to figure that out. So, <laughs> uh, you know, just by the way you talk and I'm, I'm a loud person anyway. So they're like, Oh, you know, uh, I think, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you about, uh, Eglin. Those guys have done nothing but take me in and, uh, you know, show me the ropes. I've been out of the crew field for three and a half years. They've been done nothing but show me the ropes, uh, take care of me. Uh, you, you know, senior mass Sergeant Emory, senior mass Sergeant Shuttler, all those guys, uh, you know, the chief chief there is taking care of me, you know, and I, I appreciate it. So, you know, you, the, all the knowledge that you gain in the, from the air force, right. Or going down there and all the leadership skills, you're going to lose that. Right. When you come back uh, to the career field. So that's, you got to make that up. And, you know, those guys have really done a great job and Eglin's on the forefront, of a lot of stuff. And they're, they're, they're teaching me, you know, Show me, show me the right way to do things. That's a huge place. It is. It is. It's the first day I saw it. It was just, well, I showed up here. I was like, oh my gosh, how am I ever learned this place? What 10 stations, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so you talked about being loud, man. I, I'm curious, how hard was it to, to figure out your cadence and your calls and stuff like that? I always thought that if I went to school, that'd probably be one of the hardest things to try to, to teach or to learn as to how to have like a good commanding cadence and stuff like that. So uh, my trainer, so now senior master Sergeant select Campbell, uh, he's a maintenance guy. He's out at, he's out at uh, Davis Mothin. What we did was it was like a Sunday, you know, it was a Sunday. My flight was in, my first flight was in zero week. What he had us do, we came in in about an hour early and we went on the PT podium there was a, like a blue podium and he just had me yell. He's like, yell. Like, oh, okay. So I did it and you can feel it. You know, if you don't do it right, you're going to jack up your throat. Uh, you're going to all these, you're going to, it's going to mess up your vocal cords if you don't do it right. 
so you start doing that you start doing you know commands and then you start adding in those uh you know those all those different things that have to go do with your command voice and you start adding in one thing at a time and then it just grows you know what i mean Uh, you're not going to get it overnight that's the whole thing about being an mti you're not going to get it overnight i guess that's like anything you just got to practice and yes, and all the yelling that you're going to do, you know, even if I'm yelling at training, you try to use your your diaphragm and all that stuff. So it, it just comes, it yeah. comes to you. And then one yeah. day you wake up, you're like, oh, dang, where did that come from? You know what I mean? So, yeah, look at me. Yeah. yeah. Oh, marching through the atrium and loud as can be. So it, it just comes, it comes like anything, riding a bike. So what, what was the ops tempo like as an MTI? I mean, we hear stories of the long hours, the time away from family. What was it actually like? So the ops tempo is uh, what they, so I'll explain to you, you are going to be away from your family. You're going to be, it starts mentally first, right? So especially when you're a newer MTI going through, because you got you got to earn your way, right? Uh, you come through and your first couple flights, you're trying to learn everything. What they did was it's 10 hours a day. Okay. So 10 hours a day, max six days a week. Now, if you're going from zero week to through that first week, you're going to work every single one of those days. So that's a, that's a grind. And then you'll get that Sunday off when they go in the second week. Does that, that make sense? Yeah, yeah, um, it does a little bit. So you you look forward to zero week, or you know that it's coming. You can plan for, hey, babe, I'm gone for six days. Exactly. Yeah, and you know there might be. So you you either work those mornings, you come in at zero five hundred, and you'll work till fifteen hundred. You know, and then if you're the afternoon instructor, you'll come from eleven hundred to twenty one hundred, or maybe a little bit after that, uh, after twenty one hundred to take care of admin stuff. Um. But then when that first Sunday comes around where you can leave your flight actually alone, you'll do what's called put them on a schedule and where they go to church and they kind of take care of themselves because you're trying to teach them to be, you know, autonomous, basically uh, your right. flight, you know, so you, you look for that, look forward to that first Sunday where you can be off. But even then when you're new, you know, you're constantly thinking about it. Even me, when I was an older instructor, like, and both of my flights not jacking up. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I got you. Yeah. You're, you're worried about what they're doing when you're not around. Yep. You know, you're cause you don't want to get that text from somebody. Hey, your flight's doing this. And you're just like, man, I got to deal with that tomorrow. So, uh, but yeah, if you give them the right shot. directions, just like anybody, you know, you give them the, give them the right directions that they'll do the right thing. So. All right. Yeah, for sure. Um, what about breaks between it's eight weeks, right? It's how long it takes to push a flight mm-hmm. breaks between yeah, eight do you get any break between that? So typically for the, typically no. Um, now you might, it might be different for every instructor. For me, it was, you know, you, you do that. So at first when I was there, it was seven and a half weeks and they changed their program to eight and a half weeks. So I would do my seven and a half weeks of pushing a flight. You know, that Monday I would ship them out. You know, Wednesday morning, hey, I got a brand new bunch, got a brand new 52. Um, And then, uh, you know, that that would happen. It would all depend on the the flight load for the squadron. Uh, Some squadrons were a little bit different. Um, So, 
we, it, it would all just depend. And then it Manning too. Uh, we had there, there's near the end there for, for us, I left in December. It was, it was tight. It was really tight on Manning and those people that, you know, Hey, I'm going to put you out for eight and a half weeks, get your mind right. You know, you'll, you'll fill in on flights. You'll do a little bit of CQ here and there. Uh, they, there wasn't like that. It wasn't like that near the end. It was back to back to back to back to back for some guys. So That's it was nuts. tough. It was a grind. Is it a three or four year tour? For me, it was three and a half. They changed it. They yeah. just now changed it to three. Right. Yes, sir. I knew that. Yeah. So four years, imagine four years of that back to back. And I guess TIs have manning issues too. It's not just the fire department. So, well, everybody it's, it's everybody. across the yeah. air force. Yeah. So do you have any recommendations for, for firefighters that might want to, I know you have to get into the DSD process and your, of course your department leadership has to, has to sign off on that and put you, put your name into the hat. If they make it that far, what are recommendations for them to prepare, if any? My So my biggest recommendation would be get with somebody who's either A, down there, or who has recently done it um, that can actually tell you what is what's actually happening because everybody's got their own personal opinion on BMT. Everybody thinks they know about BMT until they're down there. Um, Get with somebody that knows what they're talking about. That's my biggest recommendation. Don't listen to the horror stories. Don't listen to, you know, all these different things. Just get with somebody that knows what they're talking about. Yeah. That they can put your mind at ease. Do they take master sergeants by chance? They, do they need any master sergeants right now? It, I'm looking to go, they, man. No, they stopped. They stopped. They did? Oh, so, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Look, if you want to throw your name in the hat, why not? Get after yeah. it, man. I thought they were. I thought they were taking masters, but that's all right. So, so no, they're trying to change it to where they have basically all staffs and techs. They're trying to get back to that. The you know, there was a curve where there's a, there's a lot of there was a lot of mass sergeants there. They're kind of you know sprinkling those guys out, those those men and women out. And they're trying mm-hmm. to make it to where those staffs and techs are are, are there with a. You know, obviously, flight leader, flight commanders, lieutenants, com- uh, captains. You have a chief and a squadron. Uh, you got a few senior mass sergeants there, so mm-hmm. they're trying to wean all the wean all the mass sergeants out, man. Yeah, and put mostly staffs and techs in there. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. And you and you mentioned men and women. That was a big change from the controversy a few years back, right? There's there's supposed to be, or they tried to add a lot more females, right? So, yes. So what they, what you try to do as best as possible, get it manning provided. You'll want to have at least 25, 25% uh, females, uh, ladies within the squadron. And then on a, like a flight team, uh, there's typically four in a flight team. You'll have three males and at least one female MTI. We try to do that as best as possible. So let's get back, let's get into your transition back into the fire department. So what was it like okay. transitioning back? Uh, were you treated differently because you spent time outside of the career field? I know you kind of kept it close to your chest that you might've been a TI, but I think that some guys out there doing DSTs, they may or may not think that, Hey, I'm going to be treated differently. I'm going to be looked at differently because I've been outside of the career field. What was it like for you? You know, I'll tell you the, the, the toughest thing for me is, you know, being down 
in San Antonio, just the environment of San Antonio, it's a training base. You're on high alert all the time, right? Uh, you know, the biggest thing for me is when I first got back in, I'm constantly, I'm on high alert. Is there a dude, does somebody have their hands in their pockets? Is somebody, I'm, I'm, that's all, that's all I'm thinking about. Right. You know, and, uh, that transition was tough for me because that's all I'm looking for. Uh, granted that stuff is important, you know, military discipline, dress and appearance, that stuff is very important, but I'm just now getting to where it's like, what's the operations mission, right? What's the big, what's the big thing that we're doing here? And that took me a minute to where I'm really getting back into that, that groove. And I'm, I'm getting back into it now. Um, realizing that there's the scope of what we, what we do every single day is important, but it starts with those hands in those pockets, you know, making sure those people are squared away. And then it kind of, it kind of goes up if, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah. It, that was difficult for me. And I'm, I'm just now really starting to get into it now. Do I still call people out? Heck yeah. You know, that's important. Yeah, uh, it but you know, I'm not coming in full force anymore. If, if, right. if that makes sense. Yeah. You're in a different position. These are, well, these are grown adults now and they're adults in basic training too, but grown adults in the sense that they got some experience under their belt or at least yeah, they so- know the right thing is to do. Yeah. And you know, the big thing is, is, uh, you know, especially being a master sergeant now in BMT, it's different, right? Uh, master, you talking to trainees or even text of that matter, you know, you have to come at it in a different approach because you're somebody's, you gotta be able to, if I were to come in full force and just constantly talk, yelling at somebody or talking to somebody like that, uh, in a demeaning manner, which you don't in BMT, but people feel that way. You're going to lose trust quickly. So I'm trying, I'm trying to develop that trust. And, you know, if anybody that's coming back, not just fire dogs, but you know, anybody coming back like first, Hey, you got to develop that trust with you, with your people. Yeah. I think it's more important than a lot of people might realize maybe young leaders. And I say that because maybe I didn't realize it as a younger leader, but I heard something the other day, every interaction you have with somebody is either a deposit or it's a withdrawal. I've heard that one too. I, th- I think that's an awesome analogy, man. It's really helped me out. But if you make more withdrawals than you do deposits, you're going to have no cap. You're going to have no relationship capital with that person. Yep. And regardless of who Absolutely. they are, they're going to stop listening to you. And in basic training, yes, it's sir. okay because the environment is built for you as a TI, my job is to take withdrawals, you know, because I'm shaping you to be what the Air Force wants. But now in the operational Air Force, it's it's a lot more. Lot it's more a lot of give and take. Yeah, it, it, yep. it's a lot of give and take. Yeah, you know, sometimes a little bit more give than than the take. You know what I mean? So it's yep. it's a uh, coming back. I'm just like I said, I'm, I'm getting back into it. You know, as yep. as we speak, so. We're getting there. Yeah, you got to make those deposits. You got to build the relationships so the guys and the girls will listen to you. Yes, but, sir. So, Jordan, considering you've just recently done a little moving around with jobs and duty stations, can you share with us how you remain resilient through the process? I know moving around and changing jobs, that could be tough. 
Yeah. So, you know, the, the big thing for me is as far as resiliency, I know that's a big thing in the United States Air Force now, especially with everything that's going on right now. Right. Um, you you got to believe in your capabilities. Uh, you got to believe in what what you have and what you have to offer is important to the people around you, because no matter what you do, it's, it's all important. It's all important what we do. And you have to be able to believe in that. Like I said before, all the stuff that I may have lost as, as a fire dog, you know, I'm gaining it back, but I gained so much leadership knowledge being able to lead all the people that I did. Uh, so I'm, you know, you, you got to be able to bring that to what you, to Eglin, not just, not just fire and emergency services, but across Eglin. And I think that's what we have to do as, as people coming back from DSDs, not, not just being an MTI, but across all DSDs, we got to be able to bring that knowledge that we learned there and bring it back. I think that's the way you remain resilient, you know, and, and take your time. You know, senior master on Webster, I, we had a long conversation, right? Sitting there thinking like, man, what am I, what am I doing? What, what do I got to do to get better? You know, and he just told me, you know, do what makes you happy. Right. And that, that, that resonated with me. First thing you got to take care of your family. If you, if you, if your family's not squared away and they're not taken care of, then you're going to have a tough time because you're going to be worried about them. Take care of them, which I have. You know, my kids are in school. My wife's got a job. She's working full time. She's doing great. You know, my dogs are taken care of. So now I can really focus in on getting back into it. And I got to take my time with just like with everybody else. They got to take their time. You can't, uh, you know, we're so worried about what's the next job. What's the next job? Learn that job. Learn the job that you're in and then go up. Uh, that's how I'm resilient. That's why I kind of try to express to my, not only my kids, my trainees, my people that I work with, uh, mm -hmm. and most of all myself. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, uh, but it, that's the way I, I try to get after it. Yeah, we, we compare ourselves to each other a lot of times. And Comparison is a thief, thief of happiness. Well, there you go. That's a great way of saying it. You compare yourself to, to everybody else when you should be comparing yourself to who you were yesterday. I love that. You know, and just be a better you because you're different than everybody else. You're not the same. And like you said, everybody brings something different to the team. Um, and you're a TI, so you bring those set of skills. Um, you have to lean on what your strengths are and find yes, out how that can that can help the team instead of trying to be somebody else or trying to get into this job or whatever you know do good in whatever you're doing absolutely but well jordan you got anything else to add man you got any more talk points you want to hit on no i i appreciate you having me on here you know uh being able to tell my story but i don't want my story just to be about me i wanted to be able to benefit uh other people because we do we have a we have a ton of MTIs that are, that are firefighters that are down there doing, doing, doing the thing. And they're going to be coming back soon. They're going to need help from, from all of us, right. Mm -hmm. To come in and put that, put that arm around their shoulder and say, look, we got you. We got you because don't let it, don't let it get wrong. You know, we try to put something off. Like we're, you know, we're big and bad, but we, when, on the inside, we might be a little, we're a little nervous. You know what I mean? We, well, like they always say, we're a little nervous. You know what I mean? So it's big softies. We, we are, we are. <laughs> big testers. Well, especially me. I know I am for sure. <laughs> That's all right, man. 
All right, buddy. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you sharing your experience. Like I said, every episode, everybody has value to add. And I appreciate you coming on and sharing, sharing. Absolutely. Hopefully it's going to help somebody out. Yes, sir. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fire Dog Podcast. You can find more content just like this regularly posted to our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash the Fire Dog Podcast. That's facebook.com forward slash the Fire D-A-W-G Podcast. Please like, subscribe, share with your friends and coworkers. And if you like what you've heard so far, don't forget to rate this episode wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is host Matt Wilson and guest Jordan Pritchett. Until next time, stay safe.